Uh, today, we continue on with the sermon series that we have been in, uh, the Apostles' Creed. We've been walking through an ancient uh, creed in a modern context and trying to figure out what we have to learn, uh, what are the foundations of our faith, and, and more than that, what do these ancient truths mean about the way we live today? Why do we believe what we believe? What do we believe? And then why does it matter for today? And so today we move into uh, the next stage of that, and we'll put it on the screen here for you to read along with me. The creed says that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, talking about Jesus, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so uh, he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Last week, we had this chart up here, we'll put it back up here for you. Last week, we went through various parts of this chart, the first three items to kind of look through what is this whole Jesus coming to earth, uh, dying, rising, ascending, what does this mean for us and, and how do we see it? And so it's actually a story of two descents, we said last week, and then two ascents, the first of which we saw on Resurrection Sunday on Easter. And so Jesus goes from heaven to earth. He comes to earth so that he might conquer sin by living a perfect life and sacrificially dying for us. And then he goes from life to death. In his death, he goes, uh, the, the, the creed says, the scripture teaches that he goes to the place of death so he might conquer death itself so that those who are in him are no longer uh, going to be stung by death, but we might have life in him. Well, what does that life look like? It said on the third day, he rose again. We said, this is the pivot point of history. That on the third day, Jesus rose from death. He came back to life, thereby conquering death forever. And so he's gone from death to life. And so we, the believers of Christ, live with him in that eternal life. And then today what we see is he ascended into heaven. And so he's had one descent, two descents. He ascends from death to life. And today what we're going to talk about is that Christ goes from earth to heaven. And that has really uh, particular implications for you and I, for our today and for our future you remember uh, the movie Back to the Future? It's been a while. I, I keep thinking this is a pretty current thing, and then I remember that I'm old. Um, but Back to the Future, you, you know, Marty McFly and uh, the doctor, and they're, they're doing their thing, and they got this time machine, and it's 88.8 gigawatts or whatever it was, and they, they're able to go backwards and forwards in time. And Huey Lewis actually sang a song like that. I should have made Greg sing the Huey Lewis song back in time. I didn't do that. Okay, the point is... If you were Marty McFly, and if you haven't watched this, uh, you got nothing but time, so now you get to go watch it this week. How would you live today if you already knew what was going to happen tomorrow? If you could see the future, wouldn't it change the way you live today? In this, this trilogy of, of movies, the whole thing is about what would you do today if you could see that tomorrow was going to be a certain other way? In this, I want to kind of put this out as the Marty McFly corollary. Like you and I have to consider that we don't live today blinded by what might be tomorrow. That you and I as believers and followers of Jesus, we live today with a clear understanding of what tomorrow holds. And if we have a clear understanding of what tomorrow holds, then it changes the way we live today. It frees us to live a new and changed life today because we aren't worried about what comes tomorrow. And even like in a pandemic— when there is uh, no shortage of fear and uncertainty and anxiety, somewhere deep within us, those surface level things are swirling around. That's okay. That's valid. Somewhere deep within us, there has to be a rooted foundation that goes even in the midst of the greatest uncertainty. I think I know what tomorrow looks like and it'll change the way I live today. 
In dying, he destroyed our death. In rising, he restored our life. And so what we're going to see is in his ascension, Jesus establishes for us a place in eternity. And so there's no greater hope for you and I than this. As we look at the future and go, what does this mean for us? There's no greater hope than the one who paid our debt on the cross, the one who rose to give us eternal life, is now sitting at the right hand of God. He is on the throne and he reigns as eternal king. And if if you and I consider who we want to be king, how about the one who would give his life for his people? And so that creates a new hope in us. And, and this changes not only our eternity, but it changes our today. So what we're going to do is get into uh, the Apostle Paul's writings to the Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, we're going to start there. We'll be uh, kind of in Romans 8 a little bit today. And so I just want to read it with you. It says, then, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are conquered, or we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can get through these things because Christ reigns. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, present nor future, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is hope for us. That because Jesus reigns, because Jesus is the eternal king on his throne, ascended into heaven, that you and I no longer fear what might come of us tomorrow. We no longer fear what is afflicting us today. It's a hope that our Savior is in charge. And so you and I live in the already and the not yet. We live kind of in this part of the curve where we know what's coming and we're already part of that kingdom and yet we're not yet totally living in the the fullness of it. It's the already and the not yet. We're already members of the kingdom and, and Yet his kingdom come here, not totally yet. There's still brokenness and depravity, and there's still the struggle of today. And so we have a taste for what's coming, but we've not yet fully experienced it. We enjoy the freedom of what's already been done for us, and we await the beauty of the fullness of experiencing it. The, The creed also says that he will come to judge the living and the dead. So not only has his ascension created a pathway to us for eternity in heaven, but It also reminds us that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And this creates some struggle for us. This creates a lot of hangups for Christians. There's a lot of different uh, anxieties that even go in with that. Like, wait a minute, I thought I was good. Now there's another judgment? Like there's, this is going to get sketchy. So we're going to ask the question, what does this really mean? And what does it mean to my daily existence? And I guess the best idea here is to return back to the idea of storytelling. That every great story, every great love story, every great rescue story kind of goes the same way. It has a once upon a time and then a happily ever after. I met my wife. I remember the room that I met my wife in. I remember the once upon a time that she was raised by some other people who I eventually met and she grew up in this way. And and then we came together and then there's a happily ever after that we're kind of already and not yet experienced. We're already in the happily ever after, but we've not yet gotten to the end point of that story. Every love story, every rescue story Even the story of Christ and salvation and eternity has a once upon a time and a happily ever after. 
once upon a time is covered for the Christian uh, all the way through here. Once upon a time, for you and I, we live at the point in history where we know that once upon a time is in the beginning all the way through the resurrection. That we're able to not be anxious that maybe, is there going to be a Messiah? What's he going to do? How's this going to work? Is he going to save us? We, we have the great luxury of looking backwards and going, wow, it's already been done. We can see creation and conflict. We see reconciliation in his resurrection. It's sort of like, it's like you and I are starting in the sequel. We don't have to go through the first movie. We've already done that. We get to start in the sequel. We get to start, oh, I don't know, like Back to the Future 2. You didn't see that coming. We get to start with hoverboards and self-lacing shoes. We don't have to start in the 50s. We don't have to start in the 80s. We start in, well, that was supposed to be 2015, so we, we missed the mark a little bit. But we get to start in the cool part. We already know what the once upon a time was. And I was actually, this is not relevant at all, but these shoes, they actually made a pair of these shoes you should know this. You're on the internet anyway. So if you want to click on over to uh, like the shoe websites, you can buy these shoes. They released them in 2016. They made this like limited edition number of pairs and they're self-lacing shoes. They light up and everything. And you can get your own pair today for only $29,000. So if you want to buy a pair of these shoes, they're out there on resale sites. You get one of those, the sneaker heads that you already have them. But anyway, um, the point of my story and the point of this story is we're starting in the sequel. We're not waiting for the Messiah. We're not anxious about salvation. Jesus' victory has already happened, so we have assurance of salvation. And so we're going to go back to Paul writing in Romans 8, and he writes this in verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Just like Greg's saying, no longer slaves to fear. Rather, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer at the moment of belief. At the moment of faith, the Holy Spirit is God's gift indwelling in us. And so if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you. It is God's seal upon you. It says the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children We are his children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The Holy Spirit, who is the topic of next week, we'll talk more about that next week. But the Holy Spirit, Paul clearly writes, testifies to our adoption as sons and daughters of God. The ink on the adoption papers is dry. The judge has stamped it. It is final. And so you and I have the assurance, we live in the sequel where we get to know we already have the assurance as believers that he calls us sons and daughters, that fear can pass away because we have hope and faith. We don't float in and out of his love. We don't float in and out of his salvation. We don't float in and out of the family of God once saved, always saved. When you are adopted, stamped, judged, you are my child, and we move on to the next. Now it's get busy living time because we are assured that we are in the family. So with our assurance of redemption in Jesus, we await then with bated breath the happily ever after that is to come. We await this upswing where not only is Jesus in heaven, but we will have our eternity with him. This informs our eschatology, which is just a big, silly theological word that means future things. 
end times. There's a lot of bad theology out there. You guys remember certain little book series? We won't name it, Left Behind, but, but in the 90s, everybody read the Left Behind series. And is this fictional idea of it took some bad theology and some, some bad fiction writing and they combined them all together and we all were a little bit afraid that the next Antichrist was coming from Russia and so Vladimir Putin, some of us are still looking at Vladimir Putin like, I wonder if him, is that Nikolai Carpathia? That could be him. It, what it did is it created a whole generation of people that had bad theology about how this whole thing works. You know what the most responsible thing that, that we can probably say about what comes next most often in the church is we don't know. Specifically, we can't tell you. How does this all go down? Like, is it going to be a thousand-year reign of Jesus? Like, the Bible says this thousand, there's this whole millennial thing. What's that about? Is it pre-tribulation? Is it post-tribulation? Are we post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial? What are we? And what I usually like to tell people is that there are some really, really, really smart theologians, genius theologians, that disagree on how this works, that disagree on on what the exact sequence of events is going to be that gets us from three to four. What we know to be true and why it's boiled down into the foundational creed, the essentials of our faith, is that four is going to happen, that Jesus ascended and we are going to ascend with him. What we don't know is the exact details of that. And anybody who tells you they're absolutely certain, I would challenge you to say, hey, we don't know exactly that if really, really smart people who've studied this their entire lives can come to radically different conclusions or even slightly different conclusions, maybe we're focused on the wrong thing. It isn't that it doesn't matter. It's that what matters more is that it informs the way we live today. It informs the way we live today. We can generally agree on this, that there is a future and Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. That we know. Here's where the creed then pivots. So we're in this Apostles' Creed, and what we've seen is all this past tense stuff. He suffered, he died, was buried, he rose, ascended. All of it is past tense. That happened. And then the creed says, and he will judge the living and the dead. And so we've moved into the future tense of what can we be sure of? Crucified, resurrected, ascended. He will return. Jesus Christ is returning as the one to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess And everyone will be judged. And so we look again to the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says it this way. He says, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan in this life. We struggle. We suffer. It's not easy. We groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. We have a sense that there's something better coming. Because when we are clothed, then we will not be found naked. For while we were in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this purpose is God. He's created us for this very purpose. He's given us the spirit as a deposit. Remember that seal, that deposit. You are my sons and my daughters, guaranteeing assurance of what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident. We know that as long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. Can we be sure? I live by faith, not by sight. I believe that it's coming. I know that he's coming back. I know he's going to judge. I know I get to spend eternity with him. What about the specifics? I'm not sure. I got some ideas. I have some opinions. I can't be sure. We are confident though in this, 
We prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please God while we're here, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So, so Paul makes very clear what we just said is what we know to be true is that day is coming. What we know to be true is we spend eternity with God. And what we know to be true is that there will be a judgment seat. There will be a moment where each of us stands before the Lord. Our days still count. Our assurance is made clear even in the challenges of life. All of humanity will have their days accounted for. And so for too many Christians, this causes shivers. Ooh, what do you I mean? Like, I'm going to get judged again? Like, I got to, okay, so I got to work really hard. I got to, like, earn it so that I get judged right? And that's not freedom in faith. That's undoing grace and trying to earn it back after it's already been given to you. Those of us who find ourselves with faith in Jesus, judgment is not something to fear but to look forward to. Because what judgment means is that Jesus is coming back in power and glory. And there is nothing that you and I should want more than that. For those on the outside of faith, yeah, maybe they should tremble. Maybe holding on to distrust of God, maybe rejecting Jesus as king should cause some trembling. We go, wait, wait, there's a judgment? I'm going to be held to that? Scripture's really clear that in this judgment, Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus separates the faithful from the faithless. And the judgment is real. Listen to the language of John the Revelator. He says this in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 11. It says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war, he judges. His eyes are like a blazing fire on his head, are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God, the name given to Jesus. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, it says. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Look, whether this is entirely literal or it's some metaphorical imagery, this is a fearsome return from a fierce king. Judgment for the Christian is about the Savior returning to make things right. He's about to seriously set the world right again. He's not messing around. And so if you have discomfort as a Christian, my My challenge for you is to live in the peace of knowing that you are secured by God, that you are loved by God, that you are eternally held by God. For those who have trusted in Jesus, the penalty has been paid on the cross. The scales of justice were set right by Jesus in that moment, by his suffering and his sacrifice. So your salvation is assured. So judgment, as the Bible speaks of it, is not about our eternal destiny. That's been established based on our belief or our unbelief. We're reminded instead that we've only been given a partial view of Jesus. That we have to hold him both as suffering Savior, as sacrificial lamb. That picture we have in our minds of Jesus walking through the pastures, holding the lamb around his neck. He's not only that Jesus, but he's a king and a Lord and a bringer of justice. And so that gives us the awe and the wonder and the humility to stand before him. 
to live our lives for him and in honor of him. But he's not a one-dimensional savior. This is like, I'm going to give the dads out there a little, uh, dads and kids, you're watching. Listen, it's like one, less than a month now. It's less than a month until Mother's Day, okay? So pandemic, I know you might forget this. So it's less than a month. Look it up, get the dates, start doing your pictures now. Amazon, they'll get it to you. Mother's Day, I did that. There's nothing like a new mother. We have a friend of our family, got a new baby. Baby Isla is at home, this beautiful little girl. And she's a new mother. But that's not all a mother is. While she's beautiful and the, the baby is swaddled and everything is like soft and cuddly, that's not all a mother does. Mothers don't just gently clean up the skin's knee. Mothers don't just cry in the front row as their son or daughter is married. Mothers don't just have all the sweet hallmark moments. Mothers are multifaceted. She dispenses discipline and correction. At times, her children even cower in her righteous anger. In the same way as sons and daughters, we have to remember that Jesus is not a one-dimensional savior. He's a multi-dimensional. He's real. He's God. And he's coming not only to save us, but then to bring eternal justice for the whole of the universe. And proper judgment is based in love. Proper judgment intends to put things right. Correction comes from a heart of hope that things might be better. We don't correct things that we don't have hope might be better. Judgment comes from love. Correction comes from hope. And discipline is found in the desire for justice. Discipline is found in the desire that things might be made just and be made right, that shalom might be brought back, the design of creation might be put back in place. God's judgment is the ultimate justice. It's the final moment where God's creation is put back in perfect harmony. It's based in love. Judgment is about every knee bowing before the true king. Judgment is a moment of great blessing for the saved as they fully realize the eternal hope and joy we have in Jesus. It's a wholly different moment for those who might reject Christ. It's a realization of the supremacy of the king that they said, no, thank you. Why does this matter? I said, it's the Marty McFly corollary. If we know the end of the story, then we can make some assumptions about the way we might want to live today. If we already know the end of the story, that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead, that the righteous will be called in, that we will be living with him for eternity that we are assured our place in heaven, then this joyful future informs our present. We are then prodded to live with urgency for that day, with hopeful expectation of that day. So when Jesus prays your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, you and I can pray that with a new fervency and belief. We are so anxious to get to the eternity of the kingdom of God that we recognize that the kingdom of God is here and now and we can begin to enact kingdom principles and kingdom lifestyle today. We can share the gospel. We can bring justice. We can sow joy into a world that is deeply in sorrow, all while we worship the king here and now. We practice the kingdom and eternity today because we know that it's coming. If you're a believer Judgment should bring great hope that Jesus is coming to take his place on the throne. He is coming to set the world right again. If you're a non-believer, today is your day to grab that hope for yourself, to go, I, yeah, I want that future. I want the future of hope and faith. I want the future where the king calls me his son. 
Scripture says that this love story, this once upon a time to happily ever after, this is God's great love story for you, that God so loved you that he sent Jesus, that if you would believe, you would be counted among those he calls his own. That we would surrender to God, that we would surrender our lives and go, yeah, I believe in this. To put faith in Jesus today is to trust him with your tomorrow. And then we all collectively can eat and drink and sleep and play. Not as those who are fearing a judgment to come, but those who are expecting of a returning king. We can worship with confidence because we have a blessed future in Jesus. Our future is in Jesus. And we are safe in him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so overwhelmed by the multidimensional truth of who you are. Thank you for Jesus, not only for salvation he grants us through his life and death and resurrection, but Lord, we thank you that this is not the end of the story. Father, we thank you that there is more to come and that you will put this world right. Lord, Give us hearts that would look forward to that. Give us hearts of expectancy. Not only that we look forward to the days to come, but that we live those days out here and now. We don't wait for the kingdom. We bring the kingdom home now. Lord, for those that are watching this, that are participating with this, that are on the fence of faith, that are still not sure if this is the path that they want to take, Lord, I pray that you would just give them that nudge, that you would give them that that unmistakable feeling that this is the way and Jesus is the way and the truth and the life that in him we have hope. So Father, I pray that your spirit would be real to these people, that that nudge would be true for these people that watching right now, they know they can place their faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit will then come upon them and Father, they can be yours as well with a new joy and a new hope and an eternity that is secured. Father, thank you for today. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.